Welcome to the Rise to the Challenge podcast. Join me today. He's a keynote speaker, author, coach, entrepreneur, former comedian, former radio host. It's Steve Gamelin. How are you doing today, Steve? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me on your show. It's our our pre-show conversation was legendary, and I look forward to now doing it, doing this live here with you. I mean, our pre-conversation was fun, so I ex- this is going to be a fun conversation. I'm excited to have you on the show. What we do with our guests is go right to the beginning. Talk about where you're from and what were you involved in growing up? Uh, I've been here in New England pretty well, actually my entire life, all 53 years. Uh, I was an active kid, did all the usual kid stuff, uh, jumped over stuff on my bike and crashed a lot, played <laughs> baseball and, and hung out at the park, shot hoops in the driveway with my dad and my sister which, uh, you know, some of the greatest memories ever. But what I wanted to be when I was a kid was a little unusual when I saw a TV show called WKRP in Cincinnati. Now, I got a few years on you. You have to Google that one. There was this guy named Dr. Johnny Fever, and he wore sunglasses indoors, had scraggly hair, scruffy beard, wore jeans and T-shirts, and played records for a living. And I said, I want to do that. So much of my life since then has been behind a microphone and playing music. Was there something in the music industry at that time that caught your eye? Like, was there a, a singer, a songwriter that was like, wow, this is amazing? When I was a kid, actually, it's an, it's an unusual answer. It always gets a lot of laughs. Kenny Rogers was a huge hero of mine in the late 60s, early 70s. The music that he did throughout that decade, I still listen to it now. It just brings me so much joy. And when I would play his records at home, it would make me real happy. Then I saw this guy playing records for a living at a radio station. And I'm like, well, I want to do that because then I can listen to Kenny Rogers all the time. And, you know, it's funny. I still listen to Kenny now and, and it, it, it just still music brings me so much joy. I think that's a lot with people. There's always that sing song or singer that was so huge in their time. And then every time they hear it years later, it's like, it brings back memories. And I think that is something that we all can cherish is because that song had a huge impact in our life. Maybe it was small, but it was something that we remember. And like you said, it kind of gave you that momentum to almost follow a dream in a way. Yeah. Of course, in my teens, I got to tell the classic rock stuff that I still listen to as well. But I still got a soft spot in my heart and in my ears for for Kenny, because a lot of that stuff is tied to memories of my dad. Uh, so that's still really big for me. And it's just it's kind of like having a secret. You know, you can listen to this song depending on the mood you're in or if you need to get fired up for something yep. or you're just sentimental one day. There, There's something for everything if you just really sit and be a part of it. And it's an experience. You just mentioned that the song and Kenny Rogers had a big tie in with your dad. Talk about that bond that you guys had over that. And how did that impact your life? Well, when we were kids, my dad was, uh, my dad and I did carpentry together since I was seven years old. We just lost him a couple of years ago. And that extended all the way through my life. Uh, you know, we've lived fairly close to each other within usually 15, 20 miles my whole life. So whatever he was building something at his house or a project, or we even did carpentry together as a, as a job for a couple of years, way back, we would always have the music playing. Now, of course it started off with the record. So every 20 minutes I had to go flip the darn thing over, <laughs> but then it became cassettes and then CDs. And of course the oldies radio stations, whenever we had a radio that actually worked, music was a part of our entire lives together. And Kenny Rogers was one that we definitely shared. Uh, so even now still, he's been gone about two and a half years. Uh, I, I still have all our CDs that we used to listen to together, the oldie stuff and the Kenny Rogers stuff. And I still listen to it quite a bit, especially when I'm doing carpentry work here at our house. Uh, we bought the house three years ago and about two and a half years ago, I built this recording studio. Wow. It was the only project in my entire life I built without my dad because he passed away right when I was starting. But all I listened to was our oldie CDs and Kenny Rogers for three months while I built the darn thing. And my wife, Tina knew when she heard oldie, she's like, she's, I'm not even going down there. She goes, he's talking to dad right now and probably asking him, how the heck do I do this? <laughs> Which I did several times. Um, but it, it's just, it, it keeps us close still. And my favorite picture we ever took together was a selfie I took with my dad, uh, maybe a year before he passed. It's over there on my desk. Um, so I, I see the picture every day. I, I'm still surrounded by the music. And it's just been such an important part of who I am. And I encourage all my speaking audiences 
to, to find their music, whatever it might be, and to start their days with it every day because it can really take you somewhere and, and fire you up or, or slow you down so you can focus on stuff. It's, it, there's just such a power to it. I, I totally agree. I think something, the power of music has something that it does with our minds that it takes us into a whole different world in a way. I think when you're stressed, you just turn on the music and it kind of transforms you into a different reality where you kind of meditate in a way. And I think I can, I can relate. I, mm. I'm not going to carpentry, but I mean, I can try, but nothing's going to get built correctly, but yeah, <laughs> I understand. Believe me, that would be the same as me saying, Hey, I'll do my own taxes. There's no song no. in the world. That's going to guide me. To- <laughs> but my sister, who's an accountant is a genius with that stuff. Oh. And she has her music as well. We have stuff we shared in our teen years that will still throw a title out there. And Oh my gosh. I haven't heard that in forever, but the biggest smile comes across her face. And I remember a speaking event one time I asked people, I said, who has a song that they like to listen to in the morning? It makes them happy. And somebody said the lion sleeps tonight, which is very old, old doo-wop type of song. And somebody goes, Oh, I know that. (laughs) And somebody else did the high parts. And the woman who suggested it turned beat red and covered her face. I said, look at the joy you just brought to this room. Yeah. She goes, I'm so sorry. Now it's going to be stuck in everyone's head all day. And somebody else says, Hey, I had a bad day. I had a bad morning. I don't care. And she's singing along. And I just thought, what a gift. I love that. That that is. As you were getting older, did you have any motivations or someone that inspired you? You talked about your dad had a big impact, but was there anyone else that you kind of got motivation from? Yeah, in my early 20s, see, I'd, I'd wanted to be on the radio and do stuff with music and all this and that. Well, parenting and reality step in and say, no, 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 we want you to get a, a good education and a good job with a good company with good benefits and put your head down for 45 years and retire with, you know, a pension. And I'm thinking, boy, that's just not me. So <laughs> I did do the four years of college. I graduated uh, with a Bachelor of Arts in business. Uh, I barely graduated because my, my heart and soul just weren't in it, but I graduated and I kind of sat in the ashes for a year, just puttering around. And I had this friend named Danny who kept asking me, why didn't you ever follow your dream of being on the radio? And at this point I was 24 years old. He was 23. And I don't know. I don't know. He says, well, call the radio station in town. You listen all day long. Why don't you call them and ask them? So I finally did. And a DJ named Cindy, who's still a dear friend, said, well, there's a school down near Boston and they have a summer class and da, 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 da. maybe you can get a job through them. Or So I borrowed $4,000 from my grandfather, whose couch I was living on at the time, went to broadcast school summer 92. And in September, I got an internship with a radio station that we'd grown up listening to. Wow. I drove to Danny's house and he goes, where have you been? I said, well, I was living down in Boston at my mom's apartment, going to radio broadcast school. And he goes, do you get a job? I said, I got an internship. Doesn't pay anything, but I'm in the door. And he was so happy and so proud. And he gave the old, you know, I told you so <laughs> thing that friends do, you know, you big dummy. I told you to follow your dreams. And uh, it became a 10 year career. But you know, the, the, the flip side to that is, and, and the lesson I always share is make sure when somebody believes in you, that you listen to them because there's something they see in you that maybe you don't see in your mirror because of that shift and his believing in me and encouraging me, I went and did it. But three weeks after I gave him the news, he actually passed away mm. at 23 years old. He had cancer. He had beaten it a couple of times, but it just came back very quickly and he was gone. But the gift of it was that he encouraged me to go for it. And I did my 10 years of radio. I worked 15 years worth of hours and I was just exhausted and fried. And I blew my whole life up. My career, my first marriage, and my financial stability. I just was so frustrated and fallen apart that I blew it all up. And that led to the speaking and comedy and all these things. So, you know, we fall back in the fire a lot. And, and like, like the Phoenix, we rise up. But I always joke, I said, my Phoenix rides a pogo stick. <laughs> you know, I was in the ashes in the early 20s. Danny convinced me to go for radio. I went and did it. Flew really high, crashed and burned. Landed in the ashes again, but then launched back out following my passion 
wanting to be for other people what Danny was for me. I said, as a speaker, what I want to do is be the person who helps other people believe in themselves. And that's what I've been doing for the past 17 years. Did the people that doubted your career path understand your passion for it when you got that internship? Did they see that you really had something in this, like you really wanted to do this and how business wasn't where you wanted to go? Uh, when I finally started to get a paycheck, they, they, I think they finally believed in it. I was an intern for three months, but then because my, my dad said this, he says, you got your foot in the door and I'll bust your tail. So they'll never let you walk back out that door. Yeah. He said, even if you're working for free, cause I get it, bud, you know, we call each other bud all the time. He goes, I get it. You know, it's, it's your, your trial right now. You know, you're just there as an extra, as a volunteer, he goes, but work your butt off volunteer for everything and help out anybody you can and make sure they never want to see you leave. And that's basically what I did for 10 years, three different radio station groups, because one would get sold to a big corporation and they come in one day and go, Hey, good news. A new owner is coming in. They're going to pump a lot of money into the station. Yeah. Each time they forgot to tell me that money used to be my salary. We all got fired. Oh, (laughs) so it's up find another job, but Hey, I survived 10 years in a very cutthroat industry. And eventually I walked away of my own decision. Um, It was not a very well thought out decision, but as it turns out with where my life is now, it was exactly where I was supposed to be and what I was supposed to be doing. During that internship, what's the biggest thing you learned about yourself? That I could be valuable and creative and funny and and with the right people just rise up so quickly in, in confidence even. Cause I always wanted to be funny. I always wanted to make people laugh, but even through most of my career, I wasn't on air. I was a morning show. I was, I started off as a copywriter. I was running commercials. I wasn't even on a microphone. And then the morning guy, his name is Mike Morin. And I love him to this day for this. He approached me in the hall one day and he said, you know, this was after I was getting paid, but I was getting paid, you know, sub, par wages. He says, I don't think it'll ever happen here because these guys don't spend any money, but I love your work ethic. I love your attitude. I love your sense of humor. And I think I would love to have you someday as my morning show producer. That was actually my ultimate goal because I'd I'd been a producer my whole life working with my dad. Mm-hmm. do carpentry i was like his producer i'd get the tools i'd pick up the materials i could do i did everything for him to make sure he had everything he needed all the time and it was the best training i could have ever had and a few months later i was mike's producer and we worked together every single morning five in the morning every day for a year and a half until the radio station got sold and that is still my favorite job i ever had was there ever a time in your radio career that it was kind of a struggle and like you were losing that passion that you had for it? Right near the end, the last couple of years, there was somebody else in the building who I butted heads with a lot. And he had been there 26 years and I had been there for about four at that particular group. And we did not like each other. And I allowed that to get me off my game sometimes And that frustrated me a lot. And I was 60, it was 62 miles each way from home. I was sleeping up there two nights a week on my boss's floor. And it just got to be exhausting. Um, Temper tantrums with this other person and, you know, trying to keep a good product on the air. We actually took a classic rock station off of satellite and made it live again, which is complete opposite of the industry. So that was a lot of pressure and a lot of work and a lot of people that doubted us and a lot of people that really kind of took shots at us. And I just got really tired of defending my dreams and it, it got exhausting. Was there ever a time that when you were butting heads with that person that things got resolved or it still it did not get resolved until everyone went their own way? Uh, no, we actually had a screaming match in the hallway shortly before I quit. Oh, he had, he had dissed me behind the scenes really bad. We had won a major award. And he was bad mouthing us at the table while I was getting the award. And I got wind of it. And we just, I can't say we went at it. I went at it. 
until my song was ending down the hall. And I finally just yelled at him so loud he walked out. And I went back and read the weather or a sponsorship or something. <laughs> uh, never got resolved. We just agreed to disagree. And we agreed we didn't like each other. We respected each other professionally. And we helped each other when we needed to. But it just, I'm, I'm not really a confrontational guy. So for that to have even happened was a lot. And I do I regret that happening? Yeah, because I lost my cool. Do you think that you talked about the regret? It what could there have been a better way of doing it looking back on to that time? Like should you have done it differently or just let him talk about me? I'm going to show these people what I can do. Yeah, that's probably the way I should have handled it. Should have stayed on my game and just worked hard to make our product the best it could be and it was really a great classic rock station but i let that little voice and i let these other people who i now realize were all around me hey hey steve pick 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 you know did you hear what he said did you hear what he did and they're feeding it and finally the pin fell out of the grenade and i couldn't find it and it just went off um that part of it i do regret did he deserve it yeah probably but did it serve me to do all that no I think there's so many people that are listening to this that can relate because every single industry company, there's always people talking behind your back. And it's weird with my experience where somehow the word gets to me and I'm thinking, wasn't this not supposed to get to me? And then I always view it as, okay, you're talking about me. I'm going to show you what I'm going to do. I kind of don't confront unless it's like serious in a way, but over time I had to learn better because my actions speak louder and I'm going to do what I've been paid to do basically. And I think there's never going to be a moment where that's not going to happen at a company. I think it's going to happen. I mean, my family calls me and they're telling me about their employees and I'm thinking, okay, you're doing exactly what you told me not to do. (laughs) Like, (laughs) but then again, I think it's just with, the media and everything tv shows that oh i'm gossiping about this person but that's the life we live in right now right and, and it is so difficult and it is challenging especially with social media and in the in the pace at which the world spins right now everything is instant and everything is also and here's what i tell whenever i speak to teenagers or people in the early 20s everything is now permanent Yes. So we, the, I, I, I mean, I'm a public eye person. I'm a personality. I am, I mean, I say celebrity, but I don't mean it in a, you know, a self in egotistical way. I mean, I'm just very visible mm-hmm. out there as a speaker, as an author, as the, you know, the vision board work that I do with big companies as well. I have to be very careful of everything I do and say out there. And I take that extremely seriously. And that has been what has kept me kind of in my lane, on my path, away from the hands that reach up out of the ruts and go, hey, come down here, some juicy gossip and stuff going on. I'm just, I do my best to just keep climbing up the mountain now and not get distracted by that self. Oh, somebody badmouthed me? Oh, well. Yeah. Where are they on the mountain? It's not that I'm looking down at them. I just say, where's that getting them? To be there. I'm going to be over here working on my next book. I'm going to be here being on the, the next radio show as a guest. I'm just going to keep doing my thing my way and, and just hope to be memorable in, in a positive way. That's all. No, I think that you hit it right on the top of the head because people like people are digging through like tweets that people have said like five oh, years ago. And it's like, one, why, what time do you have to do that? But it's like you said, everything out there is permanent. And what you say sometimes gets twisted. You talked about your uh, huge like challenges that your job had with marriage financials. Talk about that moment. How did that all happen? And how did that affect you mentally? I don't remember what tripped the trigger. Uh, the day I decided to give my notice and walk away. I, I do recall part of it was hearing that the owner of the radio stations was about to go through a divorce and might have to sell them. Now, I'd already been to, through two sales and just loss of job mm-hmm. through no fault of our own. I heard the rumblings of it and I just said, I'm done. And I typed up a resignation letter and I just gave it to my boss. Now, I didn't have a full-time job. Uh, my marriage at the time was was 
already showing big signs of cracking due to mostly lack of communication. I wasn't around. I was sleeping at my boss's house on his floor two nights a week, and I was DJing weddings every weekend. We weren't communicating. It was not a very well thought out plan. And all at once, my entire life, just I blew it all up. You know, the only person who could take blame for that is me because I made the decisions. Now, would I do that again now? Not in a heartbeat. You know, that's something I regret because that impacted a number of lives and it impacted mine for many, many years, the repercussions of it. But I just remember out of sheer frustration and desperation doing that and and blowing it all up. Not something I recommend, but I can't say 100% that I fully regret it because of the life that I lead now, the career that I have now. My my beautiful wife, Tina, who's upstairs, her office is right above mine. So I always point up when I say Tina. <laughs> We've been together 14 years. Um, none of this would have happened if that didn't. So I never regret 100%, but sometimes I say, you know, I could have done it better. It's, a, it's kind of like whatever happens, happens, and kind of it leads to the next path. Do you think it was the biggest growing opportunity because you took the hours that you were working, the relationship struggles that you had in that last relationship and knew that you had to make changes because you had to make things better for yourself so you can be happy and not stressed out, mentally going and all that? It, uh, if, if, a ther- if, a, if I was sitting in front of a therapist, the therapist would probably drop the pen and notebook and go, you did what? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, I did shake up that, that whole thing all at once and just blew everything apart and landed, actually wound up, um, with family for a while. I mean, my, my first recording studio in my office were already built at my dad's house. So I was looking for an apartment and he says, why are you getting an apartment? He says, just, you're up here all day. Anyway, we need somebody to let the dog out. Why don't you just come hang up here for a while? And what started off, what could have been a walk of shame actually turned out to be the greatest gift of my life because his health started to fail shortly after I got there. So I wound up there for a number of years, basically taking care of everything in the, you know, physical work around the house and in the yard that he couldn't do as, as much as he used to. And, and all of this stuff, it turned into just like every other part of my life. When I get over the fact that, you know, I'm here because I did something bad. No, I'm here because I'm supposed to be here right now. Mm-hmm. And when you start to accept that and you start to forgive yourself for maybe a shortcoming or something you did in a rash way that blew up in your face, I started to be very open to say, okay, I'm supposed to be here. Now let me add the most value I can here. And it turned into just the most amazing years because I got to really help out my dad. You know, we didn't know that it was eventually going to cause him to pass away. But my stepmom used to tell me, you know, you don't have to be in any rush to leave here. And say, okay. Said, because if you did, and she goes, no pressure, we'd probably have to sell the house and it would kill your dad because he built the house. That was going to be their forever home for their retirement. And 20 plus years in, you know, he passed away. So it was, I was supposed to be there for that amount of time. And because I was, it gave me a safe place to be in my recording studio, to be in my office, to run my businesses and still be able to kind of keep an eye on him and their home and take care of stuff. So when you start to do that and stop beating yourself up and punishing yourself over for some of the decisions that you've made, you get to rise out of the ashes a little easier with a little less guilt and then move on to the next thing and and just be in this, if you can land in a safe spot like that. You can really enjoy the growth process coming back from it. Now, I get not everybody has that opportunity and that option, but I did. And, and I'm, I'll, I'll be grateful when I'm 98 years old, sitting on my front porch in a rocking chair. I'll be grateful for those years that I got to be that much closer to my dad and also rebuild my life in the process and create what I get to enjoy now, which is just, it's amazing. I couldn't have even imagined but I'm enjoying it. I mean, I could imagine it because I do the visualization work, but <laughs> it, uh, it, it's it been quite a journey and quite a process. And um, 
it's it, it's amazing that I get to build a career sharing it with other people now. So talk about that career. What made you want to get into the career path that you are in right now? I really wanted to, like I said earlier, the, the lesson of my friend Danny, helping other people believe in themselves when they don't. And to see things in their mirror that you see, but they don't see in themselves. At the end of my 10 years, the last big event that I remembered was a concert that we put on up in the Lakes region of New Hampshire. There were 15,000 people there and our radio station group put it on. And I got to get up in front of 15,000 people. By then I was okay on a microphone <laughs> and, and introduced this band. Um, Brad Delp, who was the lead singer of the band Boston, he had a little side project called Beetlejuice. And they played all these Beatles songs and they were amazing. And I got to get up on stage in front of 15,000 people and introduce them. And they had all become friends. So it was incredible. And I got to sit at the side of the stage watching the show. We had fireworks at the end. And for some reason, I just got really emotional. And I'm looking up at the fireworks while there's music playing. And I was talking to my friend, Danny. I said, man, can you believe this? I said, 10 years ago, you know, we had a conversation and and you got me to go follow my dream. And I, and I actually was, I had tears coming down my face saying all this. I said, I don't know where this is all going to lead because I had already given my notice. I said, but I want to do that for other people. And then about a year or so later of just kind of assessing the damage of walking away from everything, I was hitting golf balls at a driving range and I'm a horrible golfer. So I was way <laughs> down at the far end of the tee boxes underneath these big power lines, steel poles and giant electrical cables above me in a thunderstorm happened this was august of 03 and it was really humid and everybody but me ran from the thunderstorm and i'm just sitting there saying well my life really just blows i'm like go ahead <laughs> just you know take your best shot i don't care and everyone but me ran from the storm so i hit my bucket of golf balls and i was just there getting out frustration you know just just taking it out on some golf balls and so I hit my bucket of golf balls and then I saw two full buckets right near me. Two guys ran from the storm. They were long gone. So I hit my bucket and their buckets. And after an hour, I couldn't even lift my arms. And when I got to the car, the sun came out and I just started laughing. I'm like, really? <laughs> and I just, and I just thought it was the funniest thing. I'm like, really? Now that I'm out from under the power lines, you make the rain and the thunder and lightning stop. And I just started working with a brand new life coach uh, right about that time. Friend of a friend through networking. And he said on our weekly call, he goes, so how was your week? And I go, put your pen down. And his name was also Dan, just like my friend Danny. I said, put your pen down. And I retold the story of hitting golf balls in a thunderstorm under lightning and power lines and barefoot in the wet grass. And I just tried to make it as funny as I could. It was really self-deprecating, but I just tried to make it funny. And he said, I got two questions for you. Are you this open and honest about your life with everybody? I said, yeah, in a self-deprecating way, but yeah, kind of. <laughs> said, you ever thought of being a motivational speaker or a stand-up comedian? And he goes, I think you would be great at both. And I said, you know, I've secretly wanted to do both for a long time, but I never knew how to pursue it or had the guts to go for it. On his desk, was a little brochure from a local community college. He said, in two weeks, there's a once a week for six weeks night class called Intro to Stand-Up Comedy. If I send you this, will you go? Yeah. Have you ever heard of Toastmasters? I said, the place where they teach you how to speak? He says, well, basically, yeah. They'll help you craft your stories and get comfortable and learn how to use your voice and your body and your face and your pauses and your timing. He says, I think you'd really be great at this. And three weeks later, I was at my first Toastmasters meeting. Wow. So just, you know, just being. And, and again, someone believed in me when I didn't and just pointed me in that direction. In my first Toastmasters meeting and my first stand-up comedy class, I just said, oh, my gosh, this is it. I love this. And 17 years in, I, I did stand-up for seven years. Now I just focus on the speaking. And 17 years in, I'm still having the time of my life sharing stories and, and just trying to help people believe in themselves more. Isn't it interesting? Two people named Dan or Danny. I know, right? Both had the <laughs> same mindset of telling you, you need to pursue this and got you to do that. And then it ended up being a 
favorite passion of yours and you did it for years on. It's just, it's crazy how the world works. It it had to be like your friend, Danny calling in from your life coach, Dan telling him to tell you this. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. And I still remember the day that I actually realized, I think I was in the middle of a speaking event that both their names were Dan. And I just started laughing in the middle of an event. I'm like, okay, I have to explain why I'm laughing. I just realized that both people who impacted my life with a conversation mm-hmm. or a question, I mean, we, we, we have so many conversations every single day, but if we sat and listened to how profound a moment can be, like sometimes somebody will say something and be like, ah, oh, yeah, whatever. But these two conversations, which both happened when I was at pretty low points in my life, gave me the hope. And I just came right back up out of the ashes. I mean, I, I used to say to people, I said, you know, my Phoenix rides a pogo stick. I swear. Cause I I'll go do something and be successful at it and maybe make a decision or a life situation happens. Um, in the case of COVID, I mean, I own two event based businesses. I've been a DJ for almost 28 years on my own company and also a speaker. Well, last year, all the events went away. Mm-hmm. So as far as the structure of my business and the platform, it fell back into the ashes. But what did I do? Started doing virtual work, you know, built this recording studio. And now I use it for all my videos, my radio shows, my interviews, my podcasts, my social media lives, Facebook Live, YouTube, all that stuff. Because the live events haven't been there for a while. So we just keep reinventing ourselves and and actually created a whole new way to deliver one of my programs because I couldn't be on stage to do it. One of my coaches, his name wasn't Dan, it was Lonnie. Lonnie (laughs) said, well, hey, brother, you can't get out on stage. He goes, how about we figure out a way to deliver this and people can just go through it at their own pace. But then we get you doing these monthly group coaching thing. And I'm doing that now in the corporate world. And, And they, the clients are actually loving it. More than just going and doing a two-hour live event, you know, set it and forget it. We're building these ongoing relationships. So just be aware of what these conversations are. And, and don't be afraid to think, out. I, people say outside the box or pivot. I said, look, don't be afraid to bounce your business off the wall a different way. Mm-hmm. You might just be surprised at, at the craziest sounding thing might be the perfect thing to do. With the big difference between being on stage and doing it virtually, how do you keep the listener or the viewer engaged in what you're doing? Because easily they can just click a button and then they're not watching you anymore. When you're on stage, they're in the room, basically. So what is your tactic to keep people engaged at all costs of your speeches? I just do my best to bring the essence of who I am to everything. And that's whether I'm on stage or sitting here in the studio, looking at a little webcam. And and some people have said, Oh, you got to have music and you got to have lights and you have to have all this. That's not me. It's just not me. And so what I try to do is understand the needs of my audience, the pains they may be going through, the struggles they might be having. And to the best of my ability in my lane, in my subject matter to deliver that. And to use my voice and my face and the pauses and the expressions to convey that that's the best I can do. And in, in, in the case of the live events, you know, people have said, Oh, I went to an all day, let's just say Tony Robbins event. And they got the lasers and the fog machines and the thundering music and everybody's jumping up and down yelling things that rhyme. I'm like, yeah, that's not me. (laughs) They said, you mean if Tony Robbins invited you to an event, you wouldn't be a part of it. I said, Oh hell yeah. I'd be a part of it. I said, I'll follow Tony on stage. I'm not afraid to because I know who I am. But when he introduces me and everybody's jumping up and down, clapping, screaming, I'm going to grab the microphone and go, okay, thank you, Tony. All right, you want to shut off that music? Cut cut the lights. Cut the lights. (laughs) Shut off the damn fog machine. I'm six foot two and it's up to my waist. (laughs) And I'm going to just walk out and I'm going to ask him, turn up the lights. I'm going to sit on the edge of the stage, dangle my feet off the front of the stage and have an intimate conversation with 10,000 people about why I became a speaker. And that's it. I mean, I'm just who I am. And, and some people have said, Steve, you got to like, you got to yell stuff that rhymes. You need acronyms like team together. Everyone achieves more fears, false evidence, appearing real. Like I have one acronym, Mosafogi. Many other speakers are full of garbage. Indeed. Wow. 
because it's stuff like that. When people said, you know, it's like going to motivational speaker school. Well, you got to do this. You got to do that. So no, I don't. I just got to be me. It's and I'm the same person on stage, off stage, backstage, standing on the street corner or walking down the Captain Crunch aisle at the grocery store. I'm the same guy. I think that's so true because when I listen to speakers, I want the authentic ones, like the ones that I know that are real, because I can probably tell if a speaker is not real because they're using lingo that I've never even heard of or like acronyms and stuff. It's like you, you almost sound like you went to a school to learn this. So you're telling us that. Right. I, just be real, because I think that's why I love doing these interviews is we dive deep into our guests and really get deep and really hear them talk about their journey. And that's what intrigues me the most is because I'm on this journey with them almost. And I want to learn. And I think you, uh, my guests share valuable information when it comes to that. And it's all about, all about being authentic. Oh yeah. And, and someone asked me this about 10 years ago, her name is Karma Spence and she's out on the West coast, I believe. And she was writing a book and she put a, a post in the national speakers association, Facebook community said, if you had a superpower as a speaker, what would it be? And I happened to be online right when she posted it. And I typed all in caps authenticity. And she instantly shot me a message. She says, I love that answer. Can I interview you and include you in my book? Wow. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the book just had its 10th anniversary recently, and she had me on her show. And she says, I still remember the day I hit post, and all of a sudden, post, this word authenticity pops up. And I said, that is my number one word. It still is. That's and awesome. You just need to be yourself. You'll never see me in a video with a rented Lamborghini mansion or yacht. Um there's too many speakers you know those are rented right for a lot of those videos you know hi i'm all about success here's my car oh there's the guy repossessing it um there's actually a studio in california and i heard about this recently from another speaker it's it's a studio but one of the things inside of it one of the sets is the inside of a private jet it's actually a recording studio made to look like the inside of a private jet and all these people are recording their success videos in the fake private jet I will never do that. <laughs> no, like, well, I wouldn't even do that anyway. Like, well, if I'm recording something, I don't want to showcase because then people are going to perceive me as something else that I'm not. Right. And I think a lot, of, again, with social media, it's almost like who wants the likes? You're posting this photo because you want everyone to hit the like button. And I think I, I, the private jet, it's like, come on. Do you have a favorite speaking event that you've done in the past? Some of the ones that like a big impact on you. Yeah. Um, it actually just, we had the four year anniversary the other day. I think it was four years. Uh, Phoenix, Arizona. I, I flew out for this one. This was a big one. 500 people in the audience. It was one of my keynote speeches. It's called attitude, action, traction. It's just, it's a back to basics, positivity and humor blend. And the audience was 250 people who have survived traumatic brain injuries. And the other half of the audience were their caregivers. And it was my job to come in as a person who's not experienced a brain injury because they wanted somebody positive, upbeat, fun, humorous, caring, loving, and accepting. They wanted somebody to come in who wasn't sharing a tragic life story so much as to bring in joy and just bring the positivity for them. And whatever they took from it was wonderful. And they were an incredible audience. And that's, that's one that I will remember when I'm in the old speaker's home because it was such a room full of love. And, and even after my presentation, there wasn't anything right away. And I was making my way through the audience and people kept waving me over and coming over getting hugs and handshakes and high fives of people that just said, you made me laugh. And I just felt so good. And um, that was a memorable one. And, and the second part of that, that was memorable was about 10, 15 minutes in, I'm, I'm having trouble hearing myself. And I asked people, I said, is my microphone cutting out? And in my periphery, I saw the audio visual guy holding up another mic saying, I gave you the wrong one. <laughs> so my microphone was not working in front of 500 people. 
And I just said in the moment, it just struck me. I said, okay, we're going to switch the microphones for a second. What I want you to do, we're going to put y'all on hold. And I want you to hum Rocket Man or Muskrat Love to yourself for 60 seconds and we'll be back. And they just thought, they thought it was part of the presentation. They started laughing. And the audiovisual guy at the end said, oh my gosh. He goes, most speakers would yell at me for that. He goes, thank you. That was actually pretty funny. <laughs> and so it just, just being you know, and it was such a room full of love and, and we're actually in negotiations. I'm, I may, I hope I'll be back there again next year. Um, Cause they're, they're just wonderful. And it was, you know, some people say, well, the time I got a standing ovation. And for me, it's the time that I was in a very special room with some really amazing people who just love the simplest things in life. And, and they recognize how lucky they are and fortunate to be where they are with the people that surround them. And I got to be there. It was, was amazing. And those individuals just wanted to hear stuff that's positive. Like they just, they wanted to be not in the moment of what they're going through. They want to be in a different world and just having fun. And you brought that to them that day is yeah. fun and enjoyment. And see, for me, that's something I would, if I was going through that, I would remember that because you see all the smiles that you put on people's faces and you know that the words that you talked about, they'll remember that forever. It lasts a long time for them. Yeah. And it, as it has for me, um, people, you know, that was years ago and that was many speaking events ago. Then people still ask me, which one really touched your heart? And that, that was a big one. There's, there's been a number of them for different reasons, but that one was, uh, that will always humble me a great deal. Um, it was, it was just amazing. Earlier in our conversation, you talked about with your first job where the big explosion happened with marriage financials. What have you been doing now to make that all better with your relationship now? What I did actually after, after my divorce and, and for a couple of years, didn't date at all for about a year, year and a half, because I said, look, I see people all the time that they get out of a relationship and then all of a sudden their Facebook status is in a relationship. <laughs> and, and it just, it's like, wait a second. Did I not see that right? 12 hours ago, you're in another relationship. And what happens is if we don't work on ourselves enough, if we don't identify the stuff that we really want to work on and change, the, the history is going to repeat itself. So I intentionally said, look, I need to be a better man or I, I want to be a better man. I want to be more communicative. I want to be more inclusive about, you know, big decisions and, and things. I want to be the guy because I'm a hopeless romantic at heart. So I always want to be the guy that honors the woman that I'm in a relationship with, leaves silly notes and, and just does silly, funny stuff. And, but really takes to heart and appreciates and respects and honors the relationship. So I, I did a lot of reading. I did a lot of note-taking. I did a lot of intentional work so that I would be the perfect partner for the woman that I was also in my mind. I'm like, okay, what would be my perfect partner? What would she be like? What would she like to do? What, you know, what would interest her? What would she appreciate? All of that. So I spent a couple of years really formulating that and seeing it because I started doing vision board work um, very early on in my speaking career. And I started to create and map out what I thought the experiences would look like. There was a, uh, a man and a woman at the railing of a ship at sunset, just holding hands, looking at the sunset, walking on a beach, holding hands, a guy piggybacking his girlfriend through a brook. So she wouldn't get all wet. And they were laughing. And I said, all this stuff is me that I want to be. And so I started really formulating that. And then in June of 07, I put those pictures on that year's vision board. I mean, January of 07 and late May or early June, I wrote in my journal, I am ready to fall in love. And 10 days later, I got an email that I almost deleted because I thought it was spam from someone named Tina. <laughs> and I opened it up the next day. And it was a girl I'd gone to high school with who I had a crush on when we graduated in 1986. And I never asked her out because I didn't have the guts. 21 years later, after zero communication, she reached out to me 10 days after I wrote down I was ready to fall in love. And this June is our 14th anniversary. That needs to be a, like a movie right there. Yeah. 
that's like a love story right there. <laughs> yeah, that story got me on Oprah's radio network four times, <laughs> talking about law of attraction and soulmates and all that stuff. And I've I've, I've told Tina over and over and over. Uh, I said, look, if you ever end this relationship, just understand you are going to demolish my speaking career because that's everybody's favorite story. But here's the thing. 14 years in, we still leave each other notes. We laugh. We sit on the couch together every night. First thing every morning, whoever's alarm goes off first, that person's foot reaches for the other person's foot. Every morning. And we, we are living every single thing that I saw and that I created with my vision boards and the person I wanted to be and the type of person I wanted to attract. We've created everything and we work hard every single day to maintain it because it's so important to us. It's not just wishing for something and then getting it and not appreciating it. You just can't do that. So we're building a forever because of how we communicate with each other and how we respect each other. And how we look out for each other and how we defend each other. I mean, this past year and a half in business, only two event-based businesses has not been easy. She has been there for me, you know, on, on some really down days when I lost hope for stuff. And I'm just, is, am I really supposed to be doing this? Because this is starting to hurt. She's always there. And, and that's, that's the, the me and the partner I wanted to create. I got it. And, and just jackpot. And I always respect it. And I always appreciate it. And I always work really, really hard to live up to the me that I wanted to be. And I try to share that with my audiences as well. It's not just luck. You know, my dad always had a phrase that people would look at him and what he had and created and go, oh, friend, you're lucky. And he would go, you know, lucky my, we'll just say, but it's not what he said. He goes, I work for this. And I always try to stress that to people. I mean, you're not lucky because you have a, a podcast and a show. You work hard for this. You work hard at it. You're, you're very good host. The questions have been amazing. This is all good stuff. Cause I'm so tired of people going. So Steve here on the list, it says you like this. Tell me about that. Yeah. There are people out there who still do that. I'm not going to call them off by name, but there are people who do that. And you and I, man, we're hanging on a front porch, having a conversation like we've known each other for 20 years. That's what I love about this, because that's who I am. So so this is great. I just love the real conversations. I, I mean, I can see why Oprah liked that, wanted you to come on four times. I mean, <laughs> it's just it's just amazing to hear because you see all over people always wishing for the way that they want a relationship or they dream about it and they write things down. And then when it happens, they're like, where did this come from? And it's like, there's a calling, like it's out there for everyone. It just may take a little bit of time. And I use that for everything. We're all on different journeys. Some people, they get to it right away. Some people are taking the long path. But everyone has that angle that they're wanting. We're just all on different paths and going through different obstacles to get there. Yeah. And it can be really tough sometimes when the when the rewards do come. Boy, if you've got some bad self-talk going on inside and you've got imposter syndrome going on, which is very common. And believe me, I've lived it. I've worn that hat and the name badge and the T-shirt <laughs> and the socks. If you don't, you, you've got to at least understand that you've earned it. And, and sometimes good things happen and people are like, well, I'm not worthy of it. And they sabotage it. Gosh, if it's, if it's showing up in your life, please understand that you've done something to deserve it and, and work through and understand that you have the opportunity to be a part of this gift yep. because of who you are and who you've been up until now. Keep at it, keep growing and, and don't, don't be scared of things like that because when you're 80, 90 years old, sitting on the front porch, you're going to wish you'd been brave enough to pursue it or accept it and understand that you are worthy of it. You know, I'm, I'm worthy of any stage I get to get on, not because I'm egotistical of saying that, but I've worked so hard at this. And every time I get on stage, it's a gift to me and I'm honored. And so I get on a stage and I work my hardest to reach the people sitting way in the back in the shadows who may have sat in their car and come in late because they didn't think they were worthy enough to even be there to hear a message. 
And the reason I work really hard to reach those people is I used to be that person who didn't think he deserved what he got. Yep. And now I appreciate everything. And there are days I'll say, what the heck did I go through in a previous life to deserve this? Because whatever it is, I'd go back and endure it again. Because I am really enjoying this journey. As, as tough as some of the days get, I, I just love this. I wake up every single day and try to leave at least one situation a day better than I found it. And that was advice that I learned from my grandfather. He never even said it. He just lived it. I've had that same. I've had a learning process because I always thought anything I did, I'm like, well, I could have done this better. And I've now realized that you have to enjoy every moment. If you got something exciting, enjoy it. And then after it's done, you're on that next path to the next goal that you want to work on. So I think that's something that people can take from this also is enjoy the moment because you never know when it can end. And oh, yeah. That's the heart. That's reality. Everything can get taken away in seconds. You got to enjoy it. Live for the moment. Live your life. And that's that's an important thing nowadays. I think during this time, it's hard because people are struggling. But enjoy the time with your family. Enjoy the time with your friends. Get on a phone call with them. This is the this has been probably the time where people interaction has been lessened, but the way we communicate with each other has increased so much because we take it for granted how much people around us had on us. Mm. Yeah, it's true. I mean, connection is one of the biggest things that a lot of people have struggled with because we can't just be the face-to-face big crowds, concerts, and all this stuff. And even family dinners and reunions, because we got people with, you know, compromised health. I, you know, what I love to do is get on um, like messenger on my phone. Because mm-hmm. there's a little microphone button and you can do up to 60 seconds. I love just picking your friend and leaving a random message. <laughs> and, and if I'm having a struggle day, I'll reach out to one of my best friends. I go, do you remember the time we did this? And, you know, tell the funniest story about something we did so many years ago. Every single time I do this, those people will reach back out to me, whether it's another voice message or a phone call or a text and say, Man, how did you know I needed to hear that today? That was the highlight of my day. Because the connection is so important. Write notes. Send silly postcards. Do Shoot videos to friends. Whatever. Yep. Reach out. Because, and it's funny, we say, well, I wanted to make someone else's day. You know who gets the most reward out of it? You do for you doing do. it. Yep. You just do. I mean, I, you know, I had a couple of, of let's just call them disappointing bits of news today with regard to something uh, business-wise. And then I found out about one of them shortly before my weekly 7.30 seen on the chalkboard, Motivational Firewood Weekly. I have a weekly group coaching program. And I found out shortly before that, and I said, I'm really coming from kind of a down place today. I said, I I hope I can bring it for the show. I'm just really not in a good mood. And 30 seconds before I went on, I said, that's nobody's problem, is it? I said, I'm not here to wallow in anything. So I just got on there and the callers, the the membership people started to come in and I just shot myself right out that cannon and we had a ball and they were interactive and I felt better. I got off of that call and I said, what bad day? <laughs> I mean, just, yep. it was just on fire. And somebody even texted me. They said, man, you just shot yourself out of a cannon. Wow. And then I explained to her, I said, yeah, I was in a really bad mood an hour ago, but <laughs> it wasn't. It, just a couple of things happened today that I was expecting that just didn't happen. Um, but, oh, well, you know, we live to fight another day. And, yeah. and it's what we do with it. It's how we react and respond to anything. And I don't care what anybody says. You are 100% in charge of both of those things, how we react and how we respond. They're different. But we are in charge of those. And just because people are whining and screaming and complaining on social media does not give you the right to do so Mm -hmm. as well. You're in charge of how you react and respond. And I hope that your listeners and viewers will remember to stay on their path like we talked about. Just be you and, and keep moving forward and don't get caught up in all this stuff. Just because someone throws a grenade at your feet doesn't mean you can't just kick it back at them and keep walking. We don't have to become part of every little thing. 
We got our own song. We have our own music we listen to and the music we make as well. So what does the future look like for you? What are you hoping to accomplish personally and professionally the next couple of years? I would love to, with the way that we've created now that I deliver the vision board uh, mastery learning program, I would love to get into some of the fortune 500 companies, the ones that actually believe that personal development is just important as important as professional development and that helping people to understand why they're in that space and in your workplace every day is really important to get the best out of people and build intercompany relationships. So I would really love to get that as, as one of the go-to personal development programs out there. That's, that's the big thing that's on our, on our horizon right now that we're working with, especially with the way, thank you, COVID, that we had to repackage it to deliver it. It was the greatest gift, actually, that could have happened. Um, it, it's not been an easy road, but it actually caused us to bounce the business off the wall a different way. Yep. And we've got some companies going through that now. I really want to get back out on stage. I'm so excited to get out of here and and be live in a room full of, gosh, even 50 people. I would love that. Another 500 would be great. But even 50 people to just get out there and connect and feel and vibe off each other. Yeah. That'll be really great um, to do that and, and to just bring some good energy and humor and just be with people. I know yeah. it's the, it's the interaction with the people. Like I'm, I was supposed to go to like a sporting event and my mom and I had the conversation with some States that are doing a hundred percent. And it's just, I just want to be there. Like there could be 30 people in the stands, but you know that every fan is going to be screaming like crazy. And that's just the feeling. And it's like you said, 50 people to 500 people, 50 people still does it for you because it's the interaction you see physically see them sitting in front of you. And that's what I'm, I'm waiting for it. It's we're on that slow journey. Like yeah. we're going to get there. It's, yeah. We're taking time. Yep. And, and I've just been rolling with it the whole time. You know, I'm just doing what I need to do to stay in business and continue to grow my business. And that's all. Yep. That's all. I'm, I'm just doing what I love to do most. And what impacts people in the most positive way, I just had to get creative in the ways I deliberate. That's all. And there were gifts in it along the way. I mean, ways that we now do business that I never would have thought of before. Yes. So it's it's just taking whatever's going on and just, just keep panning. You'll find some gold in there somewhere. It's not easy. Um, the, the gentleman who was my digital marketing guy, my web guy, my everything, my coach, my mentor, I mean, a brother to me passed away a couple of months ago, unexpectedly. So that's been a part of this journey, but what he taught me and how far he brought me led to the group of people that I'm now working with to go next level. So everything that we do and everyone we meet is part of our road. And it doesn't mean the road's over. Sometimes it's just a fork or sometimes it's a a sharp right or a sharp left, but just keep walking. Yep. Just keep moving and and you're going to find the next people. You know, if you're walking up a mountain, you're going to see somebody coming down. Well, they've already been to the top. Why don't you strike up a conversation with those people? Hey, I'm heading up. It's my first time on this mountain. Which way should I go at the top? Where's the best views today? They'll tell you. But you got to be climbing. You got to be willing to put in the work. Yep. The final question I'll ask you, for someone that's listening to this interview based on your journey and experience, what tips or advice would you give them to overcome obstacles, accomplish their goals, and rise to the challenge? Every single day, this is something I've been doing now for a little over nine years, be grateful for something that happened yesterday. And every morning, the first thing I do is I put pen to paper, I have a blank journal, gratitude journal, and I write down the words, good stuff, I write down the date, good stuff, one, two, three. And in less than a line each, I'll write down my three favorite moments from the previous day. Not to just every day say, I'm thankful for my health, my family, and my home. Every day identify. And what's that, what that's going to help you to do is no matter what's going on in the world around you, you've got at least three amazing moments per day. Conversation you had, an act of kindness you did or received, a phone call you had, a business deal you closed. You're going to see 
over time that you're progressing. Even if you think, if you're thinking in the big picture, I don't feel like I'm getting anywhere. You're going to realize that all these little footsteps, it's like the, the stones that are sticking out of a pond or a brook mm-hmm. and you're walking across and you're getting somewhere. Just acknowledge those moments every day. And, and the weirder, the better. I've had some really bizarre ones over the years, but I can open up my gratitude journal. And if I've captured it well enough, even in one line, I can burst out laughing or smile or be grateful or just fall in love all over again because I've acknowledged the journey. Those become your golden footsteps. So I encourage people, I challenge you to do that for seven days and see how it impacts your day. That's It's the greatest lesson that was ever taught to me. Now I teach it to others. Well, Steve, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show and talking about your rise to the challenge. You're inspiring so many people and we're excited to see what the future looks like for you. Thank you very much. Pleasure to be here. I loved, loved, loved this conversation. And by the way, you're going to be item number one in tomorrow's gratitude journal. Tune in next time to hear my next guest talk about their rising challenge. Remember to follow and subscribe on all major audio platforms. And make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel for the episode of the format. What path will you take to accomplish your goals? You decide.